I appreciate the song and the choir songs. And uh, I wasn't sure if you were applauding and praise to God for the song or for the offering, but it was, it was both good. Whichever one, that was fine. It worked out pretty good. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to open them, not to Exodus 18, but to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to refer to Exodus 18. Instead of reading that text, I want to give you a summary of that text and then go directly after that to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let me start with the summary of Exodus 18. In Exodus 18, we see that the people of God, the Israelites, had been released from their bondage in Egypt, and they made the dramatic exit by going across the Red Sea on dry land. The Egyptian army who were chasing them at that point were drowned as the waters began to come back over them, and the Israelites were free on the other side. And then they began their journey. In just a few short weeks, they would arrive at Mount Sinai, where they had this destiny to meet with God. But on the way to Mount Sinai, they had some difficulties along the way. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about those difficulties because those difficulties are examples for us. Going from here to there, there are lessons that we have to learn as Christians as well. And here is the place where you have come to know Christ, and there is the place where you become a mature, fully developed follower of Jesus Christ. We saw how water was a problem and God took the bitterness out of the water. We saw where food was a problem and God supplied them with manna from heaven. And now we see an issue that involves leadership. Moses was the leader. He was the one that God chose, the one that God gifted, the one that God empowered to bring the people to freedom. And now his task was going to be to take them from here to there, from Egypt to Canaan. And so when he was in this process and hadn't even yet gotten to Sinai, there was an issue that Moses didn't even realize. And it was pointed out to him by his father-in-law, Jethro. Now Jethro, the Bible says, was a priest of Midian. At the age of 40, when Moses had fled because he had committed murder, he went to the place called Midian. It was on the backside of the desert, the Bible says. He met this man through his daughter and wound up marrying Jethro's daughter, having a couple of sons, and at the age of 80, when God sent him back to Egypt, we're not sure if his wife and children stayed with the father, their father, his, her father, or if later Moses sent them there. But at this point in time, Jethro is bringing his wife back to Moses and his two sons, and they were going to rejoin the party leading to Sinai and then on to Canaan. Jethro saw a problem. And the problem was that from morning till night, every day, Moses was busy making decisions and administrating all the different affairs of the people. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of affairs they had, but there were arguments, there were squabbles, there were decisions to be made, there were people to satisfy, there were issues. And that's all Moses got done. Jethro said, Moses, let me give you a suggestion. Instead of you doing all this work, That's not what you're called to do. You need to appoint some people to help you. Choose some men, some good men, and let them decide many of these cases, in fact, most of the cases. And if there's something too difficult for them or too big for them to handle, they can bring it to you. 
Moses said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And so Moses was able to make people a little bit under him in terms of their authority to be able to make decisions, to be able to arbitrate, to be able to administrate. And Moses then was free to focus on leadership. Moses was free to focus on what God had called him to do to get the people from Egypt to Canaan. And the crowd, the whole crowd, were happy because of this. Now, there's a similar thing in the Christian life, and it has to do with everyone being willing to serve where they're called to serve and gifted to serve. Let's pick up now the reading in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 20, and you follow with me as I read it out loud. Now concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be led off to the idols that could not speak. Therefore, I'm informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit to another by faith, a faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is instructive to us, encouraging to us, correcting of us. Let your word today be nurture for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. We learned two lessons today from Moses, and I want us to talk about those two lessons for a moment. And then I want us to draw three lessons from our text in 1 Corinthians 12. And the first lesson we need to see is very obvious about Moses. No one person can do everything. Have you learned that? No one person can do everything. But Moses is pretty close to that at first when we see him in chapter 18. 
He did all the leading. He did all the decision-making. He did all the judging. He did all the administration. He did everything, and he realized, perhaps after Jethro spoke to him, that one person shouldn't be expected to do everything. I heard the story about a pastor in a small town who was pastor of this small one-church town, and it looked like he did everything. The people let him. I mean, he made the bulletins on Saturday for the church service on Sunday. He led the choir. He did all the praying. He did all the preaching. He did all the organizing of the Sunday school. He even promoted all the offerings. But he had this one strange thing that he did that nobody really understood, at least for a while, and that was every day at noon, he went down to the center of the little town and stood by the railroad tracks and watched the train go through town every, every day. And so one day, one of his deacons who was aware of this said to him, Pastor, I've been, I've been aware of the fact that every day you go downtown and you watch that train go through. What is the reason for that? He said, well, I do so much around this church that that train is the only thing around here I don't have to push. And I'm just so glad that there's something that I don't have to do in this church. Now, that's, that's a little bit of a hyperbole. But, you know, in some churches and in some families and in some businesses, it seems like we load more stuff on some people than they should be expected to bear. Have you noticed that? And that some people take on more work than they really should. Maybe they need to feel important. Maybe they think, if I don't do it, nobody else will do it. But that's not the way God intended for his church to operate, is it? You see, when one person takes all the load, you're not only depriving people of their opportunity to serve, but you also are doing more than God expects of you. And when Moses heard the message from his father-in-law, he realized in order for him to gain something, he had to give up something. And sometimes it's more honoring to God to give something up so that you may gain more opportunity or more time to be with the Lord or to focus on what you're really called to do. And you'll be surprised sometimes giving is better than serving. Well, when we look at Moses in this context and see what God had in mind for him, Moses had to do this. This is a big, big thing about giving up his responsibilities. He had to trust other people with decisions even if they weren't just exactly what he would decide. You know, I have known some pastors like that. One man said about a mutual friend of ours that he was so intent on all the things going on at his church, he could tell you how many pencils were in each Sunday school class. That's pretty intense, isn't it? And that may be a sign of a person who is insecure, Someone who has to have his hand on everything, who has to be in charge of everything. But listen, sometimes when other people are in charge of things that you used to be in charge of, they might do a better job than you and you'll feel bad because you wish you had done better when you had it. And I've been saying over the last uh, several months now since I've been here at Highland Park the second time, I've been saying one of the problems in our church is we don't trust anybody. You know, we, we don't seem to trust somebody else's ability to make a good decision. Because they might make a decision that I don't like or that I wouldn't make. And that's the problem we have sometimes. We just don't trust people enough to let them make their own decisions on behalf of the church or on behalf of that committee or just as a person in the church. And that doesn't work. If we have one or a few people who feel like they have to be in charge of everything and nobody else can make a decision, that church can only grow as strong as that person's influence.
We don't want that, do we? We need to spread out and be bigger than that. Well, here's the second thing we learned from Moses. We need to learn that though one man can't do everything, every man can do something. Everybody has something they can do. And I've run across a few people who I thought believed that they had the gift of criticism. (laughs) But here's the one thing you can't do. You can't say, I've got the gift of criticism, therefore it's my job to tell everybody else what's wrong with what they're doing. Have you ever been around that situation? Let me tell you something. It exists here in this church. It really does. Now, I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody in particular. But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's easier to sit on the sidelines and criticize what other people do rather than get in the fight and do something positive yourself. Sometimes it's easier to sit at a distance and say, well, they should have done that or they should have done this or, you know, and just keep criticizing. And you're not doing anything yourself to help the problem. Instead of fussing about other people's decisions, instead of complaining about other people doing, they don't do it the way you think it ought to be done, you ought to get up and do it in that case. And hush up the criticism. That is not a spiritual gift. So what can everybody do? Something everybody can do? You can refrain from criticizing. Okay? Do like this if you think that's a good idea. I can't get any amen spontaneously out of you. I'll just have to make you do it this way. All right. All right. So we learned that from Moses. Now here's what we can learn from the 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now the church in Corinth, as you may know, had some problems. It had some problems. There were lots of issues that Paul addresses in his two letters to the church at Corinth. And one of those letters had to do with spiritual gifts. There were some people who were gifted with the sign gifts. And that is the gifts that make a lot of sign, make a lot of public notice, healing, tongues, miracles, all those kinds of things. There were other people whose gifts were, frankly, more practical and more helpful to the church body. And they were neglected and looked down upon because they didn't have the flashier gifts. And so Paul gives us three whole chapters on spiritual gifts, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. They give us more information than any other place in the Bible on spiritual gifts. And so we want to draw this morning three lessons about learning to go from here to there in terms of leadership and in terms of service. You got it? Okay, here's the first lesson we learn. Every Christian has been given spiritual gifts. Every Christian has been given spiritual gifts. The big question some people have is, well, Pastor, I... If I've got a gift, I don't know what it is. And I want to say shame on you, but I know some people honestly don't know. They've read the text. They've read the passages. They may have read the books. They may have gone to the spiritual survey inventories, and they still don't get it. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, before this message is out, even if it takes us all day, well, it won't take that long. Uh, But before this message is out, I want to give you some clues, some hints about how you can discover your gift and why you should know it, and what you can do with it. And so what we see in this text, in verses 4, 5, and 6, are three important concepts, three important words. If you've got your own Bible, I would encourage you to mark these three words. These three words in chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. There are different gifts. That's the first word, gifts. But the same Spirit. 
Second word, there are different ministries. That's the second word, ministries, but the same Lord. And third word, and there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift and each person. Gifts, ministries, activities. Now, this is like one of those uh, slot machines, you know, you put all the stuff in the top and then by size it works its way down to the practical bottom level. Let's just say that you have the spiritual gift of being a pastor. Okay? That's the gift. Let's just say that the ministry, though, is not that of being senior pastor of a church, but let's say the ministry area is the Sunday school. Follow through with me here. And let's just say the activity is being a group leader in the class or the care leader of a class. Not everybody that has a spiritual gift of being a pastor is the pastor of a church. The pastoral gift is one of caring for people and being concerned about their spiritual growth and their spiritual life. What every group needs is somebody with the pastor gift who will be willing to take care of the members and when they're not there to call them and find out why they weren't there. And when there's some illness or when there's some problem or issue, to go to that person's side and to minister to that person through scripture and through prayer. You see what I'm saying now? The gift may be here, but the way this gift is used in ministry is something else. And then also the very activity of that ministry may be different from what it sounds like. And so it's important that we realize that not everybody who has the gift of pastor is going to be the pastor of a church. We need many pastors in every church. Deacons ought to be pastors. Elders in a church are pastors of the church. And by that, we simply say they are responsible for caring for and ministering to the spiritual needs and at times the physical needs of the members in their group. So let's look on to another verse. If you have your Bible still open, and I hope you do, go to verse 7. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. You receive your spiritual gifts not just to make you feel good about yourself, so, but so that you can minister to the people in the church. Your spiritual gift is not an area of boasting. It should not be an area of showing off. It should not be an area of saying, hey, I got this gift and you, you don't have this gift. You got something. No, no, that's not it. Not to make you better or feel better or act better, but to give you a platform on which you can serve the church. Look at another verse from verse 11. Uh, go to verse from 7, go to verse 11. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as He wills. Now, here's the truth of it again. Every Christian has been given spiritual gifts with an S on the end. I believe, and this is my personal belief and observation, that every Christian has one primary spiritual gift and two or three or more secondary gifts. The one primary gift is where they'll serve most, but they'll also have some tendencies in other areas as well. Let me give you an example personally. I believe God has given me the gift of preaching, teaching, pastoring. That's my primary gift. It's all kind of in one. But I believe the secondary gift God has given to me is the gift of giving. Now, don't come up to me after church and ask me for money. <laughs> the, the person with the gift of giving is not necessarily rich. 
the person with the gift of giving, senses where money is needed and God puts it in his pocket to give to other people in need without recognition, oftentimes anonymously. I believe another gift I have is a gift of hospitality. I just love to entertain people in my home. We, we love, Libby and I both love just having people in the house just to fellowship and to enjoy time together. And so you see, these are ways God works in our lives. My primary gift is one thing, but I have these other gifts that operate in my life as well. Another gift I think I have is discernment, discernment. And so every person who is born again has a gift that I believe is a leading gift. You have other gifts that are secondary gifts that will operate in your life. Now, here's what I want to do next. I want to give you a listing of the four of the spiritual gifts from three passages. The passages where the spiritual gifts are listed are Romans 12. There are three or four verses there that mention spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, again, a few verses. And then the text we have today, 1 Corinthians 12. And you can expand that to 13 and 14. Now, when you put these texts together... These are the most common gifts, uh, areas we look to in Scripture. Here's what you come out with. And I'm just going to list these, and, and I'll go slow enough if you want to write them down, but you can make your own list. And different translations of Scripture may use different words at some point. But listen to what these gifts are. Wisdom. Wisdom. Knowledge. Word of knowledge. Gift of knowledge. Faith. Not just saving faith, but faith beyond salvation to enable you to believe God for big things when God speaks to your heart, this is what he's going to do. Healing, gift of healing. Wouldn't it be great if we had somebody in our church with the gift of healing? That doesn't mean everybody would be healed. Jesus didn't heal every sick person in Palestine, but he healed many, many people. Miracles is a gift. And you say, we don't see much healing or miracles these days. Well, I don't understand why, but I believe God can. Whenever he wants to, I believe God can heal people and God can do miracles according to his will. Prophecy, that's preaching, not just foretelling the future, but forthtelling God's word. Spiritual discernment, spiritual discernment, being able to distinguish between the spirit of God and the spirit of Satan or the Antichrist. Languages or tongues, languages. Interpretation of languages or interpretation of tongues. The Bible says if someone in the church service has a tongue, a message in a tongue, they should not speak that message unless someone is there to interpret the message. You see, when a person speaks in an unknown language, an unknown tongue, they don't know what they're saying. And if they don't know what they're saying, you don't know what they're saying unless somebody's there to interpret. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm not opposed to people speaking in tongues if we do it by Scripture. And if we don't have any interpreter, we don't have tongue speaking. And we don't have that. So after tongues, we have teaching. And as I said a few weeks ago, teaching is not a skill you learn at college. So I'm grateful for our teachers. I've been blessed throughout my life by some wonderful teachers. But teaching as a spiritual gift is different from the skills you learn to be a teacher in school or in college. It's a giftedness from God. Helping. And this is one where we really need more people who recognize that's my gift. You know, a helper is someone who, who doesn't have to have the idea of what to do. They just want to get on, in on helping, get it done. 
They don't need recognition. They don't want their name on a plaque. They just want to get the job done, and they're willing to help in any way. Administration or administering. Someone who is able to, to see an issue and be able to put things in place and get the job done. Apostleship. And this is with a little a. The big A apostleship was once and done. The 12 apostles, the 12 disciples of Jesus, and then those who were added later, like Paul. When that era was over, it was over. But we have people today who have the gift of apostleship. Who are they? Well, I believe these are the people that are called of God to go in foreign missions and to start churches where there are no churches and to evangelize where Christ has not been heard. I believe that's the gift of apostleship. And so when you have missionaries overseas or even at home who are out evangelizing in pioneer work, that's apostleship, I believe. Pastor. We've already talked about that. All of you have been pastorized. Evangelism, soul winning, that's what it's all about. Some people have a gift. I have a friend over in Mount Pleasant who is a gifted evangelist. What did I mean? He hadn't been to college, but he was dramatically saved, and he is willing to talk to anybody and confront them with Jesus Christ. And he's won many people to Christ. That's his love. That's his desire. He lives for that. He's gifted in that. Now, every Christian should be able to evangelize by sharing your testimony and sharing the gospel. But some people are especially gifted in evangelism. We believe Jamie Ragel is one of those guys, don't we? And so we're having him in our church on the 14th of April. Uh, look at the next gifts or the ones that I have listed for. Serving. Now, serving and helping may be closely aligned. They may be the same thing. But we need more people willing to serve then we need people who are willing to lead. Hear me? More people willing to serve than we need people who are willing to direct the activity. The next one is leadership. Another one is exhortation. Exhortation. What in the world is that? I would put beside that one counseling. An exhorter is someone who encourages people to do the right thing. And so an exhortation is a gift of being able to give godly counsel, timely counsel to somebody who has need to make decisions. Then there's mercy. Being able to show mercy, not counting blame, but giving grace. There is giving. And there's one big one that has a whole chapter in the Bible devoted to it. It's called love. And that's chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. So here are the gifts. Now, if you had to look at those gifts... Which ones would you like to have? I've heard people say, I'd like to have the gift of giving because that means you have to have a lot of money. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You see, the gift of giving is not there with you having a lot of money. It's there with you having whatever money a person needs at a certain time. They've been out reading in a restaurant one day. And uh, we were just enjoying our meal. And we noticed a young couple had come in and sat across from us and they were too far away for us to make a conversation with them. And all of a sudden, it just struck me, these folks are pretty needy. You ought to pay for their lunch. I don't know why, but the Spirit just told me that. And I said to Libby, Libby, you think we ought to? She said, oh, yeah, we should do that. So I got the attention of their waiter, called her over, and I said, hey, we want to pay for their lunch. And we're going to leave and, and they just need to know that somebody bought their lunch for them. And that's what we did. I think that's how the giving gift works. 
You might know of somebody that has a special need. My wife was going to college in the evening and working during the day, and her father had passed away, and uh, it was kind of tough to pay the tuition. And when she went to register, I don't know how many times it was, but three or four times she went to register for that semester, and somebody had already paid her tuition. And to this day, we don't know who it was. But she would have struggled if she hadn't had somebody to come and step in her. See, giving is a wonderful thing. It doesn't depend on being wealthy. It depends on being willing to give. Now, if you desire to be wealthy, if you really want to be rich, you do not have the gift of giving. Because if you desire to be rich, you don't want to give anything away. You want to keep it all for yourself. You want to gain. And so God wants to have a, a conduit through whom he can send blessings to the world. And if you have the gift of giving, you're like a conduit. You're like a pipeline. And so if you have the gift, wonderful. Nobody will know about it except you and God because you don't advertise it and you don't want people to know about your gift. So here's the second lesson we can learn from 1 Corinthians 12. Every Christian should serve according to their gifts. Look at verse 18 in our text. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Would you rather be an ear or an eye? Would you rather be a hand or a foot? Unfortunately, there are some elbows and heels along the way too. We don't want to focus on that, do we? But if you could look at each of these gifts in the context and, and you could say, well, this is the gift I think I would like to have, that may be your gift. Here's another way to help determine what your gift is. Look at how the gifts work in other people. Do you know somebody who's a gifted teacher? I've heard some really good comments about some of our Sunday school teachers. Obviously, we have some gifted teachers. I don't know if they've been to college or had any further education beyond high school to learn how to be a teacher, but God has gifted some of our men and women as godly teachers. Look at what it takes to be in that position. Then here's another way you can help learn your gift. Ask friends what they think are your gifts. You know, when I was a teenager in high school and trying to figure out what God wanted me to do, whether I should go to college and what I should study, long before it dawned on me that God said to me, you're, you're going to be a preacher, if you'd asked Libby, who is my girlfriend, if you'd asked my parents and several kids in our youth group what Ronnie was supposed to do, they'd have said, he's going to be a preacher. How did they know it before I knew it? They just saw it in me. And it could be that your friends will see it in you, whatever your gifts are. So be willing to ask your friends what they think your spiritual gifts might be. Look at, look at a list of the gifts. Say, here's what these gifts are. And, and if we had more time, we'd look into each one a little further. And then here's another hint. Pray and ask God to reveal to you what your gifts are. Now, why is it important for you to know what your gifts are. Well, if you know that your gift is serving, then it gives you freedom to say no when the nominating committee asks you to be a teacher. And it gives you freedom to say yes to anything going on at the church that needs a helping hand. You see, if you know that's what your gift is, you're free to say no to other things and you're free to say yes to the things that your gift fits. If you don't know what your gift is, you might feel guilty because there's a job that needs to be done and you might, lo and behold, volunteer for something that you're not equipped for and make a mess of it and then probably blame somebody else. Yeah, that's how it works in the church, isn't it? It was somebody else's fault, not mine. 
And so I want to encourage you to study these gifts and ask God what gift is yours. Ask your friends. Find out what your gift is and then serve in that area. Now, one last thing. Third lesson. Every Christian should start serving where they see something that needs to be done. I believe a lot of members of this church have the gift of helping and serving, but they neglect it. Let's just say you go through this door and walk down to the Christian Life Center, and on the way, you see little bits of paper in the hallway. What will you do? Someone will say, well, you know, we need to get on to our custodian. He's not doing a good job. I'm going I'm to tell somebody about that. And I'm going to make sure that he picks up better than that next time. Somebody else may say, wow, uh, that's why we need Ted. That's why we have Ted. If I pick that paper up, then it's going to take his job away. We don't want to fire him. He does a good job. But you know what someone will do with the gift of service or the gift of helping? Pick it up. Are you a paper picker-upper or not? (laughs) Now, some of us... For other reasons, are paper picker-uppers, which is not a bad idea. But according to the opportunity, people serve or not serve. Let me give you a classic illustration that I picked up somewhere a long time ago. Let's just suppose you've been invited to a party, and it's at somebody's house. A friend of yours is having a party. And you go to the party, and there may be 20 or 25 people at this party. And there's food in different places. There are hors d'oeuvres and sandwiches, and there's hot chocolate, and there's coffee, and there's tea, and there's soft drinks. And and everybody's mingling, and they're talking, and there's some soft music playing, and everybody's having a good time until somebody with a plate full of food and a glass of Kool-Aid, say, starts walking across the room, and there's a, a little area rug, and it's got a little ruffle in it, And as they go to that rug and start to cross it, their foot catches on that rug and they fall flat on their face. Their drink goes everywhere. Their food goes everywhere. They're not only embarrassed, they're going to be sore. Now, let's just imagine that somebody in that room has the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. They're going to go to that person and say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I've fallen many times myself. Let me help you get up. It's not your fault. It's okay. We're going to, everybody's going to be okay. That's the gift of mercy. Let's just say somebody has the gift of service. They start going and getting napkins and paper towels, and they start looking for a mop, and the first thing they start doing is picking up and cleaning up the mess. That's their concern. Let's just say somebody has the gift of teaching. And they go to the home and say, you know, maybe we ought to remove that rug from the floor. Maybe we ought to get it out of here. And when the party's over, we can put it back down. Maybe somebody in the crowd has the gift of prophecy. And they start pointing their finger. You know what? If you'd only been more careful, if you hadn't been so focused on your food, you'd looked at your feet, and you wouldn't have stumbled and fallen and caused all of us this embarrassment. You see what I'm saying? The way you respond in certain circumstances could be a clue that you have the gift, whatever the gift may be. You may be an administrative person, and God has given you administration, and you love to see how plans are formed and how people are assigned and how everything works together. You're good at working out conflict. You need to be in the Sunday school. 
You need to be a deacon too, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> you see how God has put all the members in the body for one purpose, to make the body function as the body should. Now, it's unfortunate, but from time to time we see people and know people who have less than a full physical ability in their body. Maybe someone who doesn't have a hand or an arm or whose legs don't work right. And we look at that person, well, it's a shame. And, and we know many of these folks try their best and do find a way to function normally in life and, and make things work for themselves. But isn't it better when we have all of our faculties, all of our functions in court? The same is true in the church. I believe there's some folks in our church who do too much. I believe there's some folks who do too little. Listen, we are known as a church of volunteers. It takes a ton of volunteers to work our programs. And I'm so delighted we have people who come out of the woodwork to volunteer for certain things. But I feel like it would be better if we all understood our gifts and sought to work within the area of our gifts. Now, here's the last thought. One day when we get to heaven, as Christians, we're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And just like the parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, the Lord is going to say to us, I gave you these gifts. Tell me what you did with them. Tell me how you used your gift of serving, how you used your gift of helping. Tell me how you used your gift of preaching. What did you do with what I gave you? Friends, ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking the law. Ignorance of what God wants in your life is no excuse. God, I didn't know that I had the gift of doing this. Well, why didn't you learn? Why didn't you get serious about it and try to understand what I gifted you to do? Why didn't you take the opportunities that were before you? If you really don't know what your gift is, anything you see that needs to be done, start doing it. You'll learn. You'll learn. God will direct you, and you will feel refreshed when you do it. You know, when I get preaching on Sunday evening, I preach twice Sunday morning, once Sunday evening. Herschel Hobbs said that preaching a 30-minute sermon is the equivalent energy exposed from your, expunged from your body as an eight-hour manual labor job. I am physically dead. That's my wife. It's been this way for years. I got spoiled in Mount Pleasant. We didn't have a Sunday evening service. Well, I really had to harness up the horse here on Sunday night. But you know what? If we had four services or five services, I'd be up for every one of them. Using your gift may make you physically tired, but spiritually it refreshes you, it enlivens you, it calls out what is good and right, and you feel satisfied that you did it. If you're not using your gift, you may get weary and just want to quit, especially if people keep putting a lot on you. The old rhyme goes like this. Mary had a little lamb. It grew to be a sheep. It joined the local Baptist church and died for lack of sleep. We're willing to put so much on a few. We need more people to stand up and say, I will help. I will serve. I will administer this. I will lead this. I will whatever God has gifted you for. And you need to be responsible to discover your gift. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand up for prayer and the closing of our service. Let's, let's look to God. Father, I believe you've given every gift that our church needs to accomplish everything you want our church to do. 
Lord, I pray that our people would be zealous to know their gifts and to serve faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to see you this morning.